0: All right, let's check in with Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun this morning. We've been talking about inflation rates because of the high numbers. StatsCan reporting inflation up 7.7% in May. And the government is starting to think about how that's going to impact renters. Good morning, Vaughn.
1: And good morning, Simi. Yeah, I remember when inflation was just this sort of temporary blip that uh, would just go away magically. <laughs>
0: Yes, seems like a dream now. It seems like a long time ago. Yeah, no, I mean, the whole society,
1: governments, uh, everybody—it's been so long since they've had to deal with real inflation. I guess it's not surprising that they're they're being surprised in every direction. But here's one that's just cropped up for the provincial NDP, and David Eby was talking about this yesterday to Rob Shaw of of Czech. And uh, the New Democrats had this, what looked like a great solution, to protect renters when they got in. The Liberals used to allow sort of a 2% increase in rents every year. NDP froze them initially. And then they said, look, we're going to bring in a fair formula that will allow uh, for landlords to recapture increased costs, but also protect renters from rent shock. So the 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 solution was we'll allow the rate of inflation. And, of course, Simi, that was like a lot of things with inflation back when there really wasn't much inflation. Right. Now, the problem they've got is that right now they're in the midst, the government's in the midst of calculating the uh, allowable increase in rents for next year. It will be based on the average rate of inflation for the past 12 months. So basically um, July to June, July last year to June this year. But the preliminary indications are that because inflation is real, those increases are definitely going to make the definition of rent shock. David Eby said yesterday um, 5 to 6% increases under the NDP's formula, which, you know, he's right in saying that's going to shock the hell out of an awful lot of people renting who are already struggling. Um, rough calculation, if you're paying 1200 a month, that's going to add more than $100. If you're paying almost 3000 a month, which is not unheard of in and around Vancouver especially, um, almost 200 bucks a month added to your rent. That's a big bite out of your annual budget. So, Uh, EB's right that it's a rent shock, but the solution, well, the government is looking at options, but there's trade-offs, right? I mean, inflation is real for landlords, too. Inflation is real for hydro bills and everything else. It's for grocery bills and supplies and maintenance and upkeep. It's real. So where is that magical middle ground that protects renters from rent shock and still allows landlords to recover their costs. Stay tuned.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, how do you even start to figure out a formula like that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's, it's
1: certainly real, it's, but it's real for everyone. And, you know, I think one of the things that strikes me about it, you know, we're seeing this in the government's negotiations with workers. It's contract year. And, you know, the government's initial offer to the public servants was 2%, 2%, 2%, 2% roughly, so for over three years. Well, that's what the public servants took last time, three years ago, but three years ago there was no inflation. And the unions have been patiently explaining to government negotiators that that's a pay cut. With inflation, well, when they started, it was 5%. It's now, as you say, over 7%. That's a pay cut. So this is not going to be easy because it's really going to – Um, result in right across the public policy, budget making, borrowing, everything, mortgages, um, balancing the household budget, adjusting to an ogre that has not been there for a long time, and one that, frankly, governments don't seem to know how to solve because the solutions from past
0: practice
1: are not very pleasant for a lot of people.
0: No, so that's going to be one too. Now, the other issue that we've talked a lot about um, is the doctor situation, the healthcare situation, Uh, and this is an interesting offer that the government is making.
1: Yes, uh, so Cindy Harnett, a reporter for the Victoria Times columns, reported this yesterday, uh, quoting Adrian Dix, that the government is stepping in they're going to this year's graduates from the medical schools in the two-year program of family medicine, and they're basically saying we want you to become a family doctor, and we're offering you some major incentives to do that. So uh, a $25,000 signing bonus is like recruiting hockey players almost. A $25,000 signing bonus um, Loan student loan forgiveness of up to $130,000, which is substantial. Yeah. And they'll lock them in to a two-year contract at a guaranteed pay of almost $300,000 a year. So no more scrambling under fee for service. In return, they have to agree to handle a, a given number of patients. They have to agree to stay in British Columbia. So there are, there are some quid pro quo, but it's... Uh, You know, standing here on the sidelines, it looks like a very lucrative offer, but I see, Simi, the initial feedback from um, the organization representing Family Doctors is the government doesn't understand how big the obstacles are to going into family practice. This offer, generous as it sounds, doesn't do it.
0: Also, I mean you're talking about people who have been probably preparing for what they 're going to do for the last couple of years, and this offer might come a little too late that they 've already decided on you know what it is that they 're going to do
1: yeah that's a good point and and they have to make up their minds very quickly exactly so i think
0: it's a, but you know it was really interesting there was been, i've seen a couple of interviews
1: with doctors in like would be doctors graduating doctors in medical school, and one of the things they say is that Of course, they talk among themselves, and they talk to people in family practice about why they're getting out of it. And the number one thing they hear from those people is not just the pay gap, which is real, but paperwork, overtime, and overhead. What they're hearing, what these young doctors are hearing from practicing family doctors is the toughest, the most demanding and exhausting and really unrewarding part of the job is you're looking at $100,000 a year off your income just in overhead, run an office and exactly. staff it and all that rents, and spending hours uncompensated every night dealing with the incredible volume of paperwork being generated by the health ministry. So, Look, I I give Dick's credit for trying. This sounds to me innovative, but you get a real sense in me of just how tough it's going to be to solve this problem when you look at the feedback and it says even those terms are not good enough.
0: And I wonder if, you know, a lot of these doctors, as you point out, these graduates are take or would rather take a salaried position in a yeah. hospital. And we're talking they would rather work emergency room shifts True. because they're in and out at that point. Yeah, they're yeah, doing yeah. their they've bit lives, and they're very family. well compensated. Yeah um and i just wonder if if the health you know the health districts are going to have to uh, come up with a better way of of doing that if they're not going to have to do the same thing but in a family doctor setting yeah
1: i you're right to i mean the, the first thing about the salaried positions or even working in an urgent care center which some of them are doing uh hospitalists staffing in hospitals is the overhead's gone um The overtime is gone unless you want to do it, right? Uh, You get to go home tonight to your family and your life and your children uh, instead of spending two or three hours a night filling out paper uh, for the provincial health ministry. Uh, Clinics have people who do that for them. So, as I said, uh, this is a step forward by the provincial government. I think you know they deserve credit, but I still think they're going to have to drill down and tackle the overhead and the paperwork problem to make any progress in recruiting family
0: doctors. I mean, from what I hear and from what you hear, doctors want a doctor, right? They yeah. want to just be doctors. They don't want to be business people and and managers and all that kind of stuff. So I think you're going to have to find a way to let them do that.
1: Yeah, that's a good point, and I think that's a huge shift in outlook in our society. It really is. Doctors used to take pride in being small business people, you know, and running their own practice and nobody looking over their shoulder and all that. They were trained to do it. They liked it. They liked the interaction with patients. But the bureaucracy that's coming at them combined with the cost of running a practice is spoiling that experience that doctors used to love.
0: You're right. So they got to change something about that. All right. Thank you for that, Vaughn.
1: Bye-bye, Simi.
0: That is Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun. If you want to weigh in, simi at cknw.com. But certainly that's interesting approach from the provincial government. They're trying something, but they're going to need to try a bunch of things, it seems like, to really make a difference with this family doctor problem. But again, weigh in with your thoughts on that.